And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation that you may be able to get into. Every once in a while, we've had people on the show to ask travel questions or people from the travel industry who write to me. So if you'd like to appear, email show at yahoo.com. We'd also like to remind you at the start here that we're not just on radio. We published a line of books and we have a website that we're very proud of that has lots of fun information for you to explore about not only the world of travel, but the world of of culture, of cuisine, of history. It is called Fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. We hope you'll visit us there. Finally, do visit us on social media. If you look for the word Fromers, you'll find it on Pinterest, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. All right, let's actually start the show now because it's going to be a great one. On the line, we have Rosemary McClure. We are so proud to have her as our first guest today because she is the author of the terrific Fromers Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. Uh, Welcome back to the Travel Show, Rosemary. Thank you, Pauline. Hello, Arthur. Hello, Rosemary. Well, nice to speak with you. So, it's the year of American travel. If I were to say to you, what in a nutshell makes Yosemite a particularly great place to visit, what would you say? Uh, The scenery is awesome. It's some of the best scenery in North America. And, you know, it is one of the most popular parks, one of the five most popular parks in North America. Um, And it's easy. It's a place that everyone should see. It's just amazing. So you say the scenery is awesome. For for people who have never been, what do they see? What does it look like? And why does it look like the way it does? Well, it's glacier-carved area of the High Sierra, um, so you have tall mountains, you have grassy meadows, you have glacier-carved canyons. Um, this is actually, um, it's 130th anniversary as a national park. Wow. Um, there's incredible things to see there. Granite monoliths, um, some of the, the highest, the tallest waterfalls in North America, hmm. and some of the largest trees in the world. Lots now, to see. Yeah, lots to see. Now, you, you, we started out by you saying that it's one of the five most popular parks. Nowadays, that kind of statement could turn people off. Do people no. have to worry about crowding and, and not being able to social distance? Yes. In an ordinary year, you would have to worry about the park being crowded. Um, normally, summertime is the time when you don't want to go to Yosemite because it's so crowded. Right. However, this year, the park has really limited visitors. Now, that's harder. It's harder to go. You can't just drive up and get in. You have to have mm-hmm. a reservation or make other arrangements. But once inside, um, 
everyone is so happy this year because there is space to look at things and parking isn't a problem and you can walk without running into a lot of other people and the scenery is for you. Go ahead. Not a crowded space. Not a crowded space this year, but you have to get reservations. How hard is it to get those? And and are there any ways around getting those reservations? Yes, exactly. Um, You to get a day pass, you have to go to recreation.gov. And I I checked on it yesterday and uh, there are reservations for mid-September. If you go if you go to the website, on the first day of the month, it's Wait, 7 just, a.m. Everything is let open. me introduce. Let me interrupt here. It is we're taping this ahead, so it is August nineteenth now. So it looks like reservations are available about a month in advance. Then you're saying, yes, yeah. Okay, sorry. But but there, but there as you as you asked, there are ways around that. If you have a reservation at a hotel inside the park. If you have a reservation for a tour at a hotel outside the park, or if you ride a bus, uh, there are buses that leave from uh, some of the small cities around Yosemite, Um, then you can go quickly, fairly quickly. So can you go, but can you get around the park if you don't have your car with you? Is that going to be a problem once you get into the park or will you only see part of the park using the bus method? No, they have, they have shuttle buses. So uh, that's actually the best way to see the park anyway, is um, you park your car for the day and you ride the free visitor shuttle buses around to avoid traffic and to find the easiest routes to the various uh, scenic areas. Right. But the shuttle buses would only be for the valley, right? Or do they go to all parts of the park? Shuttle buses do go to other parts of the park, but basically it's the valley. And, you know, the valley at Yosemite is very important. Probably 95% of the people who visit the park only go to the valley. It has the most spectacular scenery in it. Um, to get away from people, of course, you'd want to go farther away. But those kind of park reservations are also easier to get, the ones that would take you um, to go backpacking or, you know, camping high in the, in the Sierras. But the, but the valley, as you said, is the most probably iconic part of the park. It's where yeah. all of the famous photos that we've seen. And this year yeah. might be the year to do it, I, I would think, because there are going to be fewer people there. Or am I wrong? Would you suggest people to go to other parts of the park or do the, a combination of both? What's what's the yeah, idea? Yeah, this, this year, this is actually a great year to visit because um, you can see it and not be, and it's not so crowded. I mean, if you're the type of person who has time and energy and wants to backpack, of course, do that. But, um, you know, if you're on a limited, if you have a limited amount of time, then this is a great time to see the valley. And that's it where really- the, the big uh, National Park Lodge is, right? I can't I forget. Oh, is it the Alwani? Yes. And, and actually, if I can can um, get off the subject just a little bit right here. Um, for the last five years, there was a dispute going on about the names of the park lodges and yeah. um, campgrounds. And it, it was 
horrible mess. It was a, they had a lawsuit when the management of the park changed vendors. And for the longest time, even though it's been named the Awani for over a hundred years, it was no longer the Awani. It was the M- M- Majestic Yosemite Lodge. Hmm. Um, very boring. Yeah. And the Wawol was then called the Big Trees Lodge. And Curry Village was no longer Curry, Curry Village. People were so upset because they'd grown up with those names. They knew them. They were historic. And they were pretty um, much stolen by the old... Uh, uh, concessionaire, right? I mean, it yeah. was, I thought it was terrible what they did. It, it was horrible. People people who live in the area hate it. People who visited throughout their whole lives hated it. It was just awful. But thank goodness it was settled about a year ago. And uh, when those old signs came down, when those when the old signs went back up, everyone cheered. It was wonderful. <laughs> How great. We are speaking with Rosemary McClure. She is the author of Fromer's Yosemite and Other Parks, or Neighboring Parks. And what are the neighboring parks that we have in the book? Uh, well, we have um, Sequoia, which, of course, is where the big trees are located. And we have Kings Canyon. Uh, both are lovely parks, and they both get less um, visitors than Yosemite, of course. So those are good places to go also to to find a little more serenity um, and solitude. Uh, they are wonderful parks, and they're not very far away. Do you know so, offhand, and I, I'm sorry if I'm ca- catching you unawares with this question, whether you need advance reservations at those as well right now? Yes, I, I believe you need advanced reservations with almost any place, but but they're not as difficult to get. Uh, right. You wouldn't have to go, you know, you wouldn't have to go so far in the future. And and actually, with Yosemite, if you go stay at a lodge like Tanaya Lodge, for instance, is outside the park, and it has tours um, hmm. daily. So, and I looked there to see if they had uh, reservations available, and they do for next week. Oh, so wow. There, there's, there are ways you could go on Labor Day weekend, I think, um, if you just plan it correctly. Well, this will be, <laughs> this is going to air after Labor Day weekend, but that's oh, okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so one final word, we've got less than a minute. Uh, why does Yosemite make such an ideal vacation? Well, you know, um, John Muir, the poet and one of the founders of Yosemite, said, the mountains are calling and I must go. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is the best description ever. Yeah. Um, it's an irresistible urge uh, to see the mountains, and Yosemite has everything you could want to find. Absolutely, especially now that it's going to be less crowded. It's going to be more like Muir saw it years ago when he said that. Uh, To anybody tuning in the late, we've been speaking with Rosemary McClure. We're proud to say she is the author of Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. We hope you'll pick it up uh, either online or at a bookstore near you. And thank you so much, Rosemary, for appearing on The Travel Show. Thank you very much, Pauline, for inviting me.
you're listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And I know if you're listening to this show, probably fall foliage is on your mind. That is the next big vacation opportunity. So to help us discuss that, we have Mel Allen. He is the editor of Yankee Magazine. And Mel, is it fair to say that you put what? an eighth of your resources towards fall foliage. That's a big deal for you guys at Yankee Magazine, right? Of course. You know, we always say that this is our this is our Mardi Gras, meaning New England's Mardi Gras. This is when um, most of America's travelers, if they're thinking of fall, they're thinking of, of the Northeast and of the Northeast, they're thinking of these six New England states. And of the six New England states, mostly they're thinking of the three northernmost states, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And we are right there in the smack middle of all that. Yeah, so you're right there in the smack middle of all that, but it's been a weird year for many really? reasons. Really? I haven't, I haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in terms of the weather, which is what generally is very important in terms of the intensity of the leaves and when the brightest colors will hit, how is this fall foliage season going to be? Is it going to be a dud like the rest of 2020 or are we still going to get nice leaves? <laughs> that's, that's, you're, making, you're making me laugh. Um, so our cover of our new issue, which is our 85th anniversary, actually, oh, says fall foliage, fall foliage returns. Thank you. And then we say underneath that we have never needed it more. And, and that is so true. We absolutely need the vibrancy of fall. And so the weather pattern, um, we have, you know, as you know, we have a, a foliage expert. He's a, he's a nature photographer and a meteorologist. And this fall is his, is his ball. That's his ball game. Basically his name is Jim right. Salji. And he says basically that we may have a little, we may have a very intense fall it might be a little shorter um, than usual. It might come a little bit sooner than usual because of all the different weather patterns. You know, a warm one, of the warmest uh, winters in we've ever had. A right. wet spring, a really dry summer. Uh, all these kind of factors affect um, the trees, affect the leaves color. But we're we're going for right now. If you're planning to come and you want to see the most vibrant color, you probably want to come in the northern part of New England. Last week of September. The early October, if you're going to come down to the seacoast of New England, like Camden Hills in Maine, those kind of things, Cape Cod, you probably can actually start of the mid-October, even into later October. And that's really? the best we can do as of now. But, you know, that we update that all the time on our newengland.com. And so as, as, your, um, as your listeners can just go to, go to the website, look at the recent map and plan accordingly. I think, they, I think they'll be able to find room at the end more this year than in past years, which is one of the... One yeah. of the like kind of under the radar benefits of all this. Well, we'll discuss that in a moment, but I feel like you fudged it a little. So it's going to be an earlier season. Is it going to be <laughs> worth it? I mean, a lot of people are nervous about traveling. Uh, obviously, yeah. I guess if you're in the region, why not? You might as well. Uh, but will these leaves be worth it? Are they going to be as vibrant as in years past? Okay, Pauline, this is where I always, I always say this it's always worth it i i mean i've been i've been in i've been in new england since 1970 so i've seen that's a lot of a lot of fall foliage times i've been an editor at yankee for over 40 years so i've been covering fall for over 40 years and i can't think of a single time when i can't say it's worth making the trip because it's not just the colors the colors 
yes, the colors is the top of the top of the mountain that you want. But you also have the crisp air. You have the apples. You have the apple cider donuts. You have the harvest, and you have these villages. For any any of the listeners who live in any kind of urban area, they come up here, and there's all this room to to breathe. And you have the water. You have the lakes, and you have the the seacoast. So, yes. I would say okay. New England has been social distancing since the dawn of tourism. That's what New England is known for. You get out into the outdoors and you have these mountains and you have the lakes. Well, so let's, that's let's, an emphatic yes. All right. We are talking to Mel Allen. He is the editor of Yankee Magazine. And Mel, you brought up social distancing. Um, I know a lot of people are nervous to travel anywhere. Are there parts of New England where you'll still get great foliage, but you're going to get fewer crowds? Yes, absolutely. If I like, if I were doing this trip, if if, if you were asking me, no, I want to come up. Where where would I go? I would I would start with places. Well, I'm going to start with Maine. And I would say northern Maine in that in that Moosehead Moosehead Lake area. Yes, you're going you're going to have fewer crowds there, and it's, it's gorgeous. Rangeley, which is in the Western Mountains. Same thing. Gorgeous. This is not this is not going to be the crowd like you're going to see in Woodstock, Vermont, for example. And my one of my favorite places is the Oxford Hills area, which is Waterford, Harrison, Norway, South Paris, Denmark, Sweden, um, all these all these pockets of Maine, which are just just lovely. And you will not I guarantee you will not be behind the, the, the line of Winnebago's like you might see on the Kankamaugas Highway kind of thing. In now, Vermont, you want to go. To, well, hold go on. Ahead. Hold on one second. But for Maine. You have to quarantine, right? Unless you take a COVID test. How will somebody know what the current requirements are to visit Maine? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, it's always changing. Right now, Maine is, is averaging, I believe, no more than 20. I mean, I look at that every day, about sure. 20 cases a day. And they've really, really um, monitored it. Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire are three of the lowest um, um, states in the whole country right now. For, for the um, for um, for the yeah, for virus, but, sure. but yes. So you take um, you, you take the test. I mean, that's what, I think it's kind of people are just knowing that that's part of what they do. They show up. Um, Vermont, for example, they have they have a thing where they're looking at the county that you're coming from, and then if you come from a county where there's been uh, rising numbers, they they actually um, require the test and so on. But I, I think that's sort of like when you go to the airport. And now we're accustomed to, to knowing that we have a, a, a different kind yeah. of a process. And so like, this is a different process now. But I kind of think that people should, by now are probably taking it in stride. Sure. OK, so where were you going to say in, in Vermont? We have a little less than a minute, unfortunately. No, Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. Uh, St. Johnsbury is like the gateway there. And and, um, and then you have uh, the, the towns like Peachum and Craftsbury. These are beautiful towns. And because because they're a little they're further north, you're not going to find the crowds, and you're going to find probably the most vibrant, gorgeous um, foliage of, of your life if you've never been. And the Mad River Valley, Vermont, which is a cover, which is um, one of the cover stories for um, in our issue right now. Sure. All right. Well, and if you want to find out more, really the best place to go, and you guys update this almost daily, is NewEngland.com. Uh, thank you so much, Mel. We so appreciate you appearing on the Travel Show. I always love being here. I, I, I think I've celebrated a couple of anniversaries um, with with the Fromers, so I hope yeah. to, I hope to see you guys on the ninetieth as well. Absolutely.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Jason Cochran. Jason is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. Welcome back to The Fromer Travel Show, Jason. I love being here. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Sure. So we wanted you to come on to talk a little bit about insurance, because if you're going to be traveling especially internationally right now, you're going to need to get insurance. Why is that? You know, insurance is something that people used to tune out. They used to not want to think about it. It was just, you know, too dull. But now it's actually a necessity for uh, for a lot of travel. Um, some countries right now are requiring you to show up at their border with uh, proof that you have medical insurance so that if you got sick, you wouldn't be a drain on their national resources right now when they're trying so hard to take care of their own citizens. And so for a lot of people who've never purchased travel insurance at all before, you know, this is all new to them. I guess the first thing that people need to realize is the medical insurance you have, if you're lucky enough to have it, probably doesn't work as soon as you leave your country. A lot of our medical insurance won't even work if you leave your state. So you have to buy a specific policy that covers medical, you know, medical emergencies while you're traveling. Now, that's, so that's the difficult, first thing you have right? To know. Because well, if you're not it, used to it. Well, also, but aren't a lot of insurance policies right now excluding the pandemic? Well, that's it's sort of true, but sort of not. What okay. the insurance companies are mostly excluding when it comes to the pandemic is expenses that you've incurred but lost because the pandemic canceled it. So your hotel or, or you know, the trip, the, the tour that you're going to take, those are less likely to be covered by older policies that don't include pandemic coverage. Health is usually a little bit different. There's a little bit of a carve out in most policies. Now, when we talk this way, we have to always say every policy is a little bit different sure. because every policy is. But so you always have to read the fine print and really know what you're buying. But in general terms, there's usually a carve out for medical situation in most good travel insurance policies. You want to have a policy that that very clearly covers you. And there's different kinds of coverage. You don't want something called medical assistance. Assistance is sort of like they'll show you where the doctors are and then you're on your own. Right. No, you want to have make sure that you have coverage. Then there's different uh, levels. Uh, hold of on one second. Go ahead. Yeah. So with medical assistance, if you just get that, will a country let you in if it's required? The countries medical insurance? that demand insurance will not. Huh. In fact, some countries have gone so far as to say, "Here's the company we want you to use. They're in our country, and this is wow. what you should buy." And that makes it easier. Costa Rica is yeah. a place that's doing that, but there are other places like Aruba, Tahiti, Saint Martin. Uh, the Dutch side, that are just saying, please provide proof of medical coverage. This might, by the way, be in addition to proof of a negative COVID test. This is quite a separate thing. They're assuming you're coming in healthy, um, but just in case you got sick, this is to cover that. So you want to make sure that's not just assistance. Um, You're also, you need to look at between primary and secondary medical coverage. This comes into effect if you do have some kind of medical coverage, like through your credit card or if your your supplemental Medicare policy does cover travel. What that basically means is primary coverage will just pay you for what you, you, you incur. Secondary coverage will only clean up the extra expenses after your normal medical coverage has already been used. So you really have to know your coverage to begin with. 
Right. I would just recommend people buy a policy with primary coverage so you don't have to sort through any papers at the border and say, well, this is my secondary and this is my primary. Just have one good policy that says, yep, you're covered wherever you go. That will satisfy most border control agents. And what I do when I do that is I go to these clearinghouse sites where you put in where you're going to go and when you're going to go and how much you spend and a little bit of your history. And it gives you a list of maybe 20 or 30 different policies from different companies because it aggregates from, from a bunch of different um, sellers. And then you can decide which ones you like the best. So Those the cl- include. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say the, clear, the clearinghouse sites include insuremytrip.com, yep. uh, squaremouth.com, mm-hmm, travelinsurance.com. Those are the three main ones. Uh, and there's a new one, which I haven't tried yet, called Ardy, which is A-A-R-D-Y. It's short for Aardvark. Uh, but that's a newcomer to the field you may also try. Or you can go directly. I mean, there are some insurers that will quote directly. I always like to get many quotes. That's just the way I am. But sure. Allianz is one. Geo Blue, which is a partner of Blue Cross and Blue Shield, is another good one. IMG, Travel Guard. They're all places to look for this stuff. By the way, this is one other thing. People say, well, I'll just get a MedJet policy. People who know about MedJet know that it flies you home to your local medical insurance network if you get sick. That's not the same thing as getting local medical coverage. Uh, MedJet yeah. just brings you home. You want to make sure you have something that covers you there should you have to go to the hospital there. Now, beyond medical coverage, there should be coverage for the other things that could be affected by the pandemic, such as your tour company going out of business. But a lot of insurance policies will not cover that because the pandemic is considered a pre-existing condition. There is one kind that might partially cover it, right? Yeah, pandemic is considered something that's just out of the bounds of what it wants to cover. And a lot of older policies don't include the pandemic. Some of the newer ones do because now the travel insurers know we're looking for it. So you really need to know. For those people who are really concerned, I want to be able to cancel for any reason. You have to get what's literally called cancel for any reason clause, C-F-A-R. In the old days, meaning last year, most of the time, I think just a couple people would would buy a, a C-F-A-R. And now about half or more of the people are putting it onto their policies when they go travel. It adds about 50% to the price of a basic policy, which itself and, is about 4% or 10% of the price of your right. trip. And it won't necessarily cover everything. That's the dirty surprise. Yeah, you need to really look and you won't get all your money back. You just get a chunk of your money back should you have to. But it still, it helps you get more of your money back than you would for sure. Right. Without having to see if they are. We have to take a break. Thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on The Travel Show. Sure. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Christopher Elliott, who is widely published. He's also a columnist for The Washington Post. Uh, Welcome back to The Travel Show, Chris. Hey, Pauline. Thanks for having me again. Sure. My pleasure. So 
In your most, well, in one of your most recent columns for the Washington Post, you had some dire warnings for travelers based on when the bailout money to the airlines is going to run out. Why should average travelers worry about that? Well, the bailout money is expiring at the end of next month, so October 1st, and we've already seen airlines announce that they're going to be cutting routes. You had American Airlines this last week that said it was going to lay off, I think, close to 40,000 people. United Airlines is uh, uh, ending a contract with one of its um, uh, regional carriers. So people have every right to be concerned that maybe the flight that they booked after uh, October 1st might not be operating. And so that's what really the worry is about, is that uh, airlines are going to start downsizing and they're going to downsize the flight that you are on. So uh, the airlines have announced that they're going to be cutting a lot of small cities. Are you saying that you could book a flight and then simply not get what you're where you where you want to go? That's exactly what I'm saying, is that you could have to a smaller city or even to a major city. If, if uh, an airline is cutting the frequency to that city, your your flight might not exist. And that's actually a bad news, good news situation, because. As I'm sure you've said many times on your show, when an airline cancels your flight, you're entitled to a full refund. But are those refunds coming? I mean, I know it's been rough for some people, even on canceled flights uh, this year, getting their money back. Do you think they'll be able to get their money back easily if the flight is fully canceled? The Department of Transportation has a regulation that says you should get your money back within seven working days. And so, yes, you should, in theory, be getting your money back. In practice, it hasn't been going so well. The European airlines have, you know, been been waiting months and months, and some cases have been saying you have to take a voucher. Air Canada is in a class by itself. They're not even, you know, giving refunds right now. The U.S. carriers, if they're prodded, if you file a complaint with the Department of Transportation, will eventually give you a refund. But what you need to know is that that is your right to a refund when a a flight is canceled and you should insist on it. We are speaking with Christopher Elliott, who is a columnist for The Washington Post. And Chris, uh, what if you're still going to get where you're going, but now instead of a direct flight, it could take one or even two flights to get there? What are your rights then? If you're flight has been canceled, then you have a right to a refund. I know I'm repeating myself. Sorry. Sure, that's <laughs> but, all right. But, um, but that also applies to a rescheduled flight. So if you are on a flight going from city A to city B and the airline says, sorry, we're going to have to reschedule you, and they put you on a flight, a new flight that where you have a stopover, then that is technically a canceled flight and you deserve a full refund for it. Airlines are getting really creative about their definition of canceled. And they're saying, well, you know, we got you to your destination. We should be able to keep your money. That's not true. What about the the holidays? I know a lot of people want to get home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and they may be nervous about waiting to the last minute to book those. And so maybe booking them now. Are you recommending not booking any flights until we see how how everything shakes out after October 1st? You know, that's really difficult. Uh, I've talked to some consumers who are doing that. They're waiting 
Um, I, I think that flying anywhere during the holidays this year is risky in and of itself. You know, and set aside the fact that airlines are cutting back, we still have a pandemic. Sure. But um, but I mean, look, um, if you want to go somewhere and, uh, you know, you you have to fly, I don't think that you should not book a flight, but just know what the risks are and also know what your rights are. Right. What about pricing? Will you pay more if you wait until after October 1st? Because prices have been pretty darn good right now, right? Prices are pretty <laughs> darn good. I don't know. Um, I, I was just reading the latest OAG figures and the world worldwide, they've cut back 2 million uh, seats in the last week. And so um, I think that it's still very much a buyer's market for airline seats right now. And that I don't see that ending anytime soon. So a buyer's market, even for holiday fares, because it's usually not about buyer's market over Christmas, say. I think we could see. Uh, well, look, I'm not the deal expert. You guys are. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I would defer to, to you we on that. Um, but I think that this I think that it's safe to say that this holiday season will be unlike any other. So we might see more aggressive deals. Who knows? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, well, we have been speaking with Chris Elliott. And just so you all know, we are speaking at the end of August. Uh, we want to be very clear on that because things could change. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for appearing on The Travel Show. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Welcome back to the Frommer Travel Show. We have just a couple of minutes left to this hour, but that's enough time to tell you about a contest we are participating in. It's a really nice one. We are working uh, with Dollar Flight Club to give away a getaway in California wine country. And not only is this getaway going to be uh, available for up to two years, but you'll get our Fromer's Guidebook to the Region, which is written by a local author. Uh, it is uh, a really beautiful small book, carryable, with lots of photos. In fact, two or three photos on every page. It's called Fromer's Napa Valley Day by Day. Uh, so you'll get that and you'll get free round trip transportation by air from anywhere in the country because the folks who are really behind this contest are the Dollar Flight Club. Uh, so to get into the contest, you go to www.fromers.com slash contest. Very easy. You don't have to do much, but just sign up for the contest there. Once again, that's www.fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com slash contest. And it's a great way to go to what we think is one of the most beautiful areas 
of the United States in an area that, yes, has a wine focus. So you're going to spend a lot of your time going from winery to winery. But it also has the Charles M. Schultz Museum uh, for the founder of Peanuts. It also has wonderful art museums like the DeRosa Preserve, which has spectacular art in its sculpture garden outdoors. Uh, It also is near Redwoods National Park. So you can see these magnificent trees. Uh, So if you're interested, once again, we're doing this with a bunch of other entities, and I'm hoping that on next week's show, I'll be able to announce more prizes. But the two initial prizes are a guidebook from us and what could be better and round trip airfare from anywhere in the United States from Dollar Flight Club. That's what they are are giving to this contest. So if you're interested in it, once again, you go to www.fromers.com slash contest. Dad, have you ever been to the Napa Valley? Yes, I have, Polly, that it well justifies the trip. And it's important to realize that all you have to remember is the word contest. Yes. You do fromers.com slash line contest. Yeah, the thing I love about the Napa Valley probably is the food. Some of the greatest restaurants in the United States, and they're supported by local farmers. I mean, it's such good food because everything there is super fresh. And, of course, the wine is great. So one last time. Please visit us at www.fromers.com slash contest. That's www.fromers.com slash contest. Okay, we have to say goodbye for this week. We thank you for listening. To those who are traveling, a hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage.